For some of you who call this home, it's good to be back. I, I, I've, been, I've been in service most of the time, but uh, just love seeing the team uh, just kill it. And my son did a great series, and, and then my friend Q came in. How you guys like Q last week? The Italian, he's crazy. Um, I got all of his church saved last week, and so he gets to go back, and now he's got a pastor for the first time. And so, anyway, we, uh, we, we have fun with each other. But if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek, and I want to welcome you to Connect if you're here for the first time. I'm the lead pastor, and yes, I'm wearing a jacket today. Praise God. So sometimes you talk about certain subjects, and, and it, you know, if you're up here in a sweatshirt, people will think, you don't know what you're talking about. So you got to once in a while wear a jacket and, and, and look like you know what you're talking about. So this is strategic. I just wanted you to know that. Normally, I would be in a sweatshirt. <laughs> anyway, can we just give it up for our online campus and our Framingham campus as well? Can we say hello to all our peeps over there? We love you guys. So glad that you're with us today. What an honor to uh, engage more than who's in front of us, but also uh, beyond these walls. And uh, we are one church. We believe we will be many locations. And in the next uh, eight years, we're hoping to start, you know, another four, maybe more campuses. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Amazing. Um, but anyway, I, I'm just glad you're here. Uh, you can get your worship guides out. I'm going to jump right into the message today. We've got a lot to talk about. And kicking off a new series. Everybody say new series. Uh, this is called Legacy, okay? And uh, this is how really to have your life live on beyond you. Legacy, how to have your life live on beyond you. And, 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 and I will tell you right up front, and we prayed about this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time qualifying this, but we're going we're gonna to talk about your resources a little bit. Uh, there'll, there'll be a, a more of an emphasis on finance. And, um, and a lot of times people get uptight about uh, when you come to church and they talk about money, yet at the same time, um, we're thinking about it all the time. We're always, men in particular, men think about money more than sex, and that is saying something. Uh, it's sincerely, it's saying something. Um, we're very preoccupied with the subject. A guy actually was talking to God one time, and, and he said, God, you know, um, you know, is it true to you that like a thousand years is, is just like a second? And God says, yeah, yeah, it is. He goes, so, so God, is, is it true also that like, you know, a um, billion dollars is like a penny to you? And God says, yeah. And so the guy says, well, can I have a penny? <laughs> and God says, yeah, in a second. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you guys got that. All right, so, so when I get into this a little bit, of this subject, I want, I want you to hear my heart on this a little bit, okay? This is not about, there's, there's no special offering at the end. We don't even take an offering in this church. Like sometimes people ask me, how do you do this? You know, um, all the business people, they want to know how this thing works. And so um, we do believe in giving. We just don't pass a plate because we don't pass a plate because we don't believe in tipping God or kind of guilt giving, uh, reactive giving responses. We want people to be planned, predetermined um, obedient to the word or scriptures of God givers. And so we've just taught that for many years. And so some people kind of catch on later and decide to do it. And the Bible actually says, decide what you have decided in your heart, do it. You shouldn't do it uh, reluctantly, but you should do it and, and not under compulsion, but you do it cheerfully. Amen. So God is looking for a, a connection between heart, cheerful and obedient to what he says. And I'm going to emphasize a little bit more on the what he says part today in our message, but we, we, don't, we, don't, pass, we don't pass a plate. And so um, when, when we talk about this, I, I want you to hear the heart of the message. And that is whenever I talk about money, it's not about increasing funds. It's about increasing faith. Yeah. 
but I just, just pause for effect because, because there's, but there is a direct correlation always between what we do with our finances and what's going on in our faith or what's, what we do with our resources and what's going on with our hearts. Always connected. You can't tell me otherwise. It's all through the scripture. And if you're really honest with yourself by yourself, you'd have to agree that, that either money has a hold on you or it's, it flows out of you. God says in his word, we don't give to get. We, we're blessed to be a blessing. Genesis 12, verse 2. And so it, are you a blessing? Are you a conduit you know, of cash? Are you a conduit of resources? Are you a conduit of your time, your talent, and your treasure? God's looking for those kind of things from us uh, in his word. Can I have an amen? And so anyway, I'm going to start with the scripture from John uh, chapter 2. This is a, uh, a text where we see uh, Jesus at a wedding. And I'm going to read from verses 1 and following in the NIV. Um, and um, I'm going to ask you to stand while I read this. I'll read this. First service had everybody read it together. And uh, I think some people were uncomfortable reading it together. And some people maybe forgot how to read. I don't know. But... So I'm going to read it to you, okay? So this is John chapter 2, verse 1. Stand for the reading of the word, amen. It says, On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to this wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. She says this to Jesus. Jesus says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to those servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then, um, uh, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you've saved the best till now. Whatever Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Thank God for the reading of the word. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. And so here's what's going on in the, in the text here, uh, the context of the text, as I like to say. Um, Back at this particular time when people were uh, having weddings, they weren't one-day occasions. These were many-day occasions. In fact, they'd have, the wedding would be for over a seven-day period. This is actually the third day in the wedding experience. Seven-day weddings. Come on, somebody. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, back then, um, you didn't have honeymoons and go off to the Caribbean or, you know, or go to some special location or anything like that. Nope. You stayed put for seven days. Bride and groom were there for seven days. You didn't have a little reception and then take off. You know, that kind of stinks. But anyway, um, but the seven days that you were there, you were literally treated like a king and a queen. I mean, everything was about the, the, the bride and the groom, and it was, just a, it was just a massive party for seven days. And people would take off from work, people would get childcare, people would show up from all over the place, and they would, this would be like a major event over a seven-day period. So this is three days in, and they run out of wine. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. This is a problem in the story, okay? And so are you guys getting me right now? This, if this happened at your wedding and you were the person that was hosting the wedding, this would be considered scandalous. Like you would be talked about throughout the community. It would be extraordinarily embarrassing for something like this to happen. And so I'm doing this because I want you to see the background of this particular sign. In fact, it's kind of what it's referred to in the NIV. Uh, it doesn't seem like much of a miracle 
um, at first. In fact, that's what I always thought when I was reading this, and I didn't see. Uh, the Bible's amazing, by the way, isn't it? Because there's so much more than meets the eye so many times. I go back and read a story, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that. This is incredible. That's actually referred to kind of as uh, rhema, the Bible says. It's like it's, it's a revelation you get about a truth that you might have, you know, seen many, many times. God does that. If you keep reading the Bible, that'll keep happening to you. Just a suggestion. Okay. And so, anyway, <laughs> this miracle is, in simple terms, it's a miracle so that a family could avoid embarrassment. That's, that's, the, that's really the basis of this miracle. This sign was for a family not to be embarrassed. And so and Mary and Jesus were connected to this family. Contextually, uh, you can see that. And so the question is, why did Jesus, uh, excuse me, why did Mary go to Jesus and say, um, they have no wine? They have no wine. And, and I think it's because she knew something that, I don't think everybody else knew. I think she was aware of some of his special skills, <laughs> being the mother of the Son of God. Okay? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, special skills. Okay? Now, now I'm going to exert a little pastoral license. This will have a little conjecture to it. But just work with me because think about why would she do that? Why would she turn to him and say, um, you know, there's no more wine? And I think she gave him like the mother look. You know, you know that I know who you are. You're the son of God, but you're my son too. There's no more wine. And, I, and Jesus responds, is like, woman, what do, you, what do you want with me right now? What is the deal? What? It's not my time. And she just, do whatever he tells you to do. She totally ignores him and then assigns you know, responsibility to Jesus and to these men at the same time. She just, she, she would not take no for an answer. No is not even an option in Mary's vocabulary. I think she saw some stuff. I think when he was growing up, you know, maybe they'd go swimming down by the lake, you know, Lake Gennesaret or down by the Sea of Galilee as a family, and, you know, and, 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 and they're way out in the water, and Jesus shows up late. They're like, Jesus, hurry up. He's like, okay. And he just starts walking on the water. You know what I mean? Like, oh, did you see that? You know? Oh, my bad, my bad. He kind of, you know, drops down and starts swimming super fast underwater for like 12 hours, you know, kind of stuff. Who knows? I bet, he, I bet he freaked. I would if I was the son of God as a kid. I'd be like, check this out, you know? They had a dog, and the dog... You know, unfortunately gets run... No, start over. They had a cat, and the cat unfortunately gets run over by a chariot, you know? And the cat's name's Lazarus. <laughs> and they bring the cat to Jesus, and Jesus is like, no, 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 let me see, let me see. The He's just sleeping, see? Meow! You know, and he comes back to life. Lazarus was resurrected. It's the first one. I don't know. Jesus is studying upstairs, you know, the Torah, and he's learning, you know, the law, and he's checking to make sure everybody's done it right, you know, and Mary's downstairs in the kitchen, Jesus, Jesus, I need to go to the store, I'm out of flour, can you go with me? Mom, I'm studying, I'm studying the scriptures diligently, Jesus, I need you to go with me, Mom, check the cabinet again, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, thank you, I don't know, I don't know, it's just... All I know is that they looked, you know, she, she looks at Jesus, they have no wine. Do what you do. This is the time to do it. Do whatever he tells you to do. 
Okay, but she ignores it and she doesn't take no for an answer. And, and I say all this because I think we have to see Jesus through the right lens if we're going to see some of the situations in our life change circumstantially in our life change. In other words, if you can see Jesus, if you see him right, if you, how do I used to say this? If, if, if you see him right, then you're going to see the situations change. You just have to have a different viewpoint of Jesus as the source. She knew something that I think God wants us to know as well. Is everybody with me? Now, when we talk about resources, if I apply it to that, I'm aware of the pressures you feel, because I feel certain pressures too in my personal life. Now, we endeavor as a church Never to be, never to put people under pressure. And the only way we do that is by making sure that we steward well and fiercely protect the resources that you entrust us to steward. And as a result, I've never, in my pastorate, if you're new here, I just want you to hear something. I've never asked people to give money, ever. Crickets. Uh, and here's, here's the reason for that. All I've done is I give vision, I teach the Bible, and I tell people to talk to God and just do what he says. Okay? So and nothing's going to change. As far as I know, you know, unless God shows up and says, this is how I want you to do it now. But I, I, think, I think people under pressure typically put people under pressure. As I'm talking to you about this subject, I do not feel pressure in the ministry of this church. Don't feel pressure. Sometimes, from time to time, in my own life, I do. And so I can identify with you on a personal level, on a pastoral level. It's amazing. Sometimes you do a better job stewarding and protecting the finances of a church than you do sometimes do yourself. Is that, isn't that weird? Like sometimes when you babysit, you do a better job with the kids, somebody else's kids, than you do your own kids. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, you're so awesome. You're so, you know, you're over here with your own kids. Anyway, I don't know. I digress. Okay. So I just want you to know something. We just encourage people with vision and we teach the scriptures and we're going to continue to do that. But, but at some point, someday, it's all going to come down to this like test, this, this, this intersection in your life where is that what God says and am I going to do it? And, and what precedes a lot of times provision is obedience. Now think about this story. How crazy, how crazy must it have been for uh, these servants to go fill these water pots and, 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 and knowing that they were believing they were going to be turned to wine. These guys, okay, go fill the water pots. Okay, we'll go fill the water pots. And so there's these ceremonial washing pots that needed to be filled. And the Bible says they went, they got them, and they filled them to the brim. Amazing. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes God tells us to do things, and initially it sounds crazy. But a lot of times we have to, faith doesn't always make sense. It makes miracles, though. And if you look at some of the things that are happening in people's lives that are miraculous in nature, it was always preceded by something that might look a little crazy, look a little crazy. But she says to the servants, just do it. Whatever he tells you, Nike could have made millions, you know, way earlier in, in, in this whole story because really it was Mary that introduced this little tagline. She says, just do it. Just do whatever he says. Don't think about it. Don't talk to yourself about it. Don't compartmentalize it, categorize it, or rationalize it. Just do it. Turn to your neighbor and say, just do it. Okay? I want you to, I want you to walk away with that phrase in a, new, in a new perspective. Because when you see Jesus the right way, you will do what he tells you to do. So that's our big idea is just do it. Now let me give you three benefits to a life of obedience, because the key to provision is preceded always by obedience. Here's the first benefit. Number one, obedience can be measured. In this story, you see it very clear. John chapter 2, verse 7, 
that obedience is measurable, okay? It says this, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars. Meanwhile, Jesus is doing what his mother said, by the way. He subordinated himself to an earthly authority. I think that's incredible. But he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. And the Bible says they, the servants, filled them to what? The brim. The brim. That means there was no more room. The cup runneth over. Okay? Uh, they, they weren't halfway in their obedience. They weren't partial in their obedience. They were comprehensive, complete. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do in its entirety. A lot of times we don't get the blessing, reward, the promise fulfilled that we're looking for, because not because we didn't do what he said. We just did partially what he said. My daddy used to say when I was growing up and, and he told us to do something, he'd say two things. One, delayed obedience is no obedience. And then he'd also say sometimes partial obedience is no obedience. He was trying to teach me what really uh, this scripture is telling us. You need to do it and do it to full. Do it to the full. Complete it. Amen? Because here's why. Because every drop of water in those pots became wine from heaven. Every drop, every drop of water in those pots was a drop of wine from heaven. So if that's true, then what if they only filled the pots half full with water? What would they have gotten in response? Half a pot of wine? And they probably could have run out again. What if they only did a quarter of the pot filled with water? They would have only got a quarter of the pot filled with wine. Whatever they, they only, they, they, they got the result of what they put in. You, in other words, determine the measure of God's blessing back to you. you it's not always proportionate because God always does above and beyond. God, it, it's, it's more an axiom. You put in a little bit, you're going to get a little bit back. But you put in all that you can, God's going to bless you. God's going to reward you. He's usually going to do more than you could even ask or even imagine. And so if you have a, you know, the Bible says in Luke chapter 638, this is, this is basically in a nutshell. You give, and it will be given unto you. Then it says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will men, by the way, that's an earthly reward, given to your lap. Then it says this. The second part only proves this point or this principle. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I want you to see something, that uh, the, the obedience can be measured. Everybody say that. Obedience, obedience. can be measured. If you use a teaspoon of faith, you're going to get a teaspoon response. If you use just a quart or a gallon of faith, you're going to get that kind of response. What happens if you go all in? God's going to go all in for you. In other words, God's power related to provision and resources is unlimited. But you and I can limit his unlimited power by our participation and our obedience in complete obedience to him. Is everybody with me? So they determined how much wine they got. They put in something natural, uh, and Jesus, as the provider, turned it into something or did something supernatural. This is, this is really what it's all about when we give. Some of you have a gap in your life. Some of you have a, you're falling short. Some of you have more, more bills at the end of the month than you have money. And, and so you're trying to fix that by yourself. You're short X. Some of us don't even know how much we're short. It's like driving a car without a gas gauge. We have a gas tank, but we don't have a gas gauge. And so we're out there just driving. At any moment, we could just run out of gas. Some people actually do that. It's mind-blowing. But people are doing that with their finances. But let's just assume you know what your gap is. You're short X. You're short $2,000 a month. 
a lot of us are trying to cover that gap in our own effort, and we actually can't, and we know it. And so we're, we need, actually, God's intervention into our finances. If we're honest, we're like, God, help me. And he's like, I want to, but I'm handcuffed by your disobedience. And your obedience can be measured. <laughs> How? Uh, just look at your checkbook, and I can tell you. I can tell you where your resources are going. In fact, what determines your money is your self-control and your priorities. And so God always wants you to trust him first with your finances and release and relinquish control and put him in the first position in your priorities. And it's, that's how the gap will be covered supernaturally. The same thing he does in this story is the same thing he wants to do in your finances and your resources. Is everybody with me? So what measure are you using in your giving? Are you using a teaspoon? Are you using a quart? Are you using a gallon of faith? Are you filling things up to the brim or doing exactly what God tells you to do? See, there are these laws of God. God has in his word over 6,000 promises in the Bible, prescriptions of blessing for you. There's always a promise. With every promise, there's always a principle, a law, uh, an axiom in his word. After every principle, there's always a problem or a test. And after every problem or test, there's provision, blessing, result. Okay? And so the, the promise, uh, one is, would be Luke 6.38. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over men, given to your bosom. And then it goes on to say, for with what measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Okay, so from that, there's a principle. What's the principle? Obedience can be measured. There's the principle. What's the problem? The problem is, in this story, he says, he, uh, the, the mother says, just do what he tells you. Or in essence, then, God, then Jesus gets involved and says, go fill the water pots. Go fill them up. There's the test. And if they didn't pass that test or do what he said, then you wouldn't have had new wine. Many of you are not experiencing new results. You're not going from new levels to new levels. You're not experiencing new faith. You're not seeing the results that God has for you because you haven't accepted the promise of God as truth. You don't know the principle of something God's trying to teach you, and you're not passing the test. As a result, you're not seeing the promise fulfilled. That's a that's better teaching than the amen I just got in this service right here, okay? Are you guys with me, all right? So not too long ago, as a point in case, this, there was a single mother um, in this church, and she came to me. She said, Pastor Derek, um, I, I, love, I love how you handle the money subject here at Connect, and you never push people, but you teach it with honesty and sincerity. Thank you for that. She said, I've been wrestling with this tithe thing for years, but I started doing it. In fact, the first time I did it, she said, I was making, my check was thirty dollars and she said, and based on what I heard you say, the tithe refers to the tenth, and, and the, the, the ten, ten in the Bible always represents testing in the Bible. And so I, I realized the gross, the gross tithe on that was $103. And so I was going to bring my $103. And as I'm going to bring my $103 and actually put it in the connection box back there, right before I did it, God spoke to me and said, I want you to give $120, not $103. And, and she said, God... Um, I'm already having a hard time with this already, and now you're asking me to do even more than that. Don't you realize that I'm on a fixed income? And she said to me that God said to her, um, Ed, do you want to fix your income, or do you want me to fix your income? Just do it. And she said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And she put $120 in the offering. And instead of just $103, instead of just obedience to the tithe, she gave above that. She did what he said. Now, what's incredible is by the end of the service, before she left, somebody handed her an envelope. And do you know how much money was in the envelope? 
$120. True story. That happened in this church. Now, listen, listen. You don't have to believe that. That's okay. I don't care. I'm still going to tell you. <laughs> but listen, some of you hear that story and think, oh, I wonder if I do that or something like that will happen to me. <laughs> Let me give you my response to that. Uh, maybe, maybe. Here, here's why I say that. Because sometimes in your development in your faith, God sees where you are at in your journey, in your infancy, in your neophyte kind of, ah, ah, I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to try this thing. God sometimes will encourage you with some incredible miracles, like right out of the gate. And then to mature you and develop you, sometimes those miracles don't come in the process of time, which you would like, which is like a microwave <laughs> response. Sometimes it's a process for you to see the blessing and the favor of God in your life. So don't formulize things with God. You don't give to get. You give so you can give again in obedience to him. When you give, he's going to keep on giving back to you. Does everybody understand what I'm saying to you, okay? So uh, you got to decide. Are you going to live with that mentality? I'm on a fixed income and limit God. People say, I'm on a limited income. God's saying to you, who's limiting your income? If, Jesus, if you see Jesus right... If you see as he sees, you can do as he says. Jesus is the source of your provision, not your labors. It's, it, the Bible says the diligent hands will rule. Who gave you the hands? Who, it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth. You have to decide if you trust in the word or you trust in you. If you trust in you, then you're responsible for you and everything that happens to you. But if you trust in him and you pass the test that he's put in front of you, then you can put the responsibility on him. Come on, somebody. That's a good word. And then you don't have to be limited. And then you don't have to be on a fixed income. Amen? So here, number two, write this down. Obedience transforms dead religion into exciting faith. <laughs> have you ever been, some of you, not connect, okay, but have you ever been to a church somewhere, a religious experience, and it was just like dead as a doormat in there? you know what I mean? You're looking at your watch. You're, you're like, how much longer is this going to be? And it's just like the music is like this dirge. You know what I mean? And nobody, nobody's ever had that experience. Yes, you have. That's why you're here. Praise God. Cause you left that. And so uh, some of you know people who are uh, in their own walk with God, like they've been Christians for a long, long time, but they're, they're not alive. Uh, they're like Christian fossils. You know what I mean? It's just, just dead religion. It's just like, oh, bless God. You know, he has blessed me with just so many blessings. Uh, <laughs> and you don't want to be around them. You're, it's not contagious Christianity. You're not drawn to them. There's not life coming out of them. They're fuddy-duddies of the faith. They're Christian fossils, okay? And the reason why they're that way is because they've stopped obeying what God says. They're testifying about things that somebody else did or something that happened a long, long time ago. When you hear testimonies from 30, 40 years ago, that's cool. But if that's the only thing you hear and you don't hear something that's current in somebody's faith, it's because they're not living on the edge for God anymore. God's trying to get me right now. He's coming on my sabbatical. And one of the things he was trying to do was increase. My wife has the gift of faith. And, and bless God, I have it too in Jesus' name. Uh, vicariously and also I'm assuming that similar gift. God's trying to increase my faith. And so at the end of my sabbatical, he's just showing me some stuff that he wanted to do. And it was just like, he was just like blowing my mind. 
Because I, I, on one hand, I can look back and go, look what the Lord has done. I can get excited. But at the same time, God's trying to get me to look ahead and go, I have so much more that I want to do with you. So much more I want to do through this church. So much more I want to do through the leadership here. And I want you to see as I see. But you're going to have to do as I say. Are you going to do it? Are you going to trust me? And so there's this exciting faith that comes about in this story. Why? Because these were people who are willing to do things that seemed a little bit crazy. Uh, Abraham, the father of our faith, he, 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 he's instructed by God to, to sacrifice his only son. It's like nuts. He's crazy, right? It's crazy. Somebody asked me to do that, I'd be like, get out of my face, Satan. You know what I mean? Like, no, no. Uh, but, but he takes his son up onto this mountain, and, and the son's asking him, Dad, hey, Dad, um, I see the supplies, but um, I'm not seeing um, the, 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 the burn. Like, where's the offering? Where's the, where's, the, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. God will provide. Don't worry about it. Just keep following me, son. <laughs> and, and, and we got the sticks, you know. We, I see your knife. It's big. Uh, no, don't worry about it. God will provide. Can you imagine the tension as they got closer to the altar? And, and they're built. Come here, Isaac. Let's just let's put the rocks on top of each other. You know what I mean? And, and, and the last rocks put up something else. And he takes his son and puts him on top. And says, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, Dad. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? It's like in a human straitjacket. And 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 then he goes. The Bible says he goes to strike him with with the knife. And out, right in that moment, God speaks audibly and says, "Stop, Abraham. Stop. Stop. Now I know." What was in your heart? Now I know. And because of what you've been willing to do to, to give your one and only son for me, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for you. I will bless you. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Because you have done this, what? You obeyed what I said no matter what. I have, and have not withheld your son, your one and only son. Sure, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have what? Because you have what? Come on, say it strong. Because you have obeyed me. Obedience is the key to the supernatural intervention of God in your life. If you are not experiencing a supernatural God, it is because you are not obeying a supernatural God. Okay? Do you, have, do you think Abraham knew how he was going to provide? I don't think so. I think he just had a trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This was a radical example with radical implications. And as a result of his radical obedience, he became, the Bible says, one of the wealthiest men in the entire Bible. And he's known to this day as the father of our faith because of what? Obedience. Obedience. So if you're bored as a Christian, it's Listen, this is strong. It's because you're being disobedient if you're bored, if you're bored. And so I heard this story uh, on the blessed life. Pastor Robert Morris, I love this guy. I, I love how he teaches about this particular subject, and I won't even try to do it better. But he tells this story about a guy in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he was part of a church, and they were having a building program. We're not, but, you know, maybe someday we will, but we're not. But um, God told him when he prayed about it to give $50,000 above his tithe to this building program. And so and then he said to God, he goes, God, I'm going to pray about that some more. And then God said back to him, no, you already prayed about it, and I told you what to give. 
Now, you need to go home. You need to look at your budget, Bubba, and start figuring out how to make some cuts over the next three years to make this commitment. And so that's how God talked to this guy. And so God's, the guy's like, okay. And so he goes home. He starts doing the math and cutting this and saying no to that. Because, by the way, you can't. Giving is not like a credit card where you just charge it and hope God works it all out. Giving requires good stewardship on the other side. Stewardship and generosity uh, coexist together. So in order for uh, when we first started tithing as a, as, a, as, a, as a family, which, by the way, I've been doing for 28 years faithfully, never, never not done that, uh, it first started with just like, okay, we're going to have to make some cuts. We're going to have to say no to this and no to that and no to that so we can say yes to God. And then when we did that, God started saying, was able to say yes to the things we asked for. Does everybody get what I'm saying? It's quiet in this Catholic church right now, okay? So, so back to the story. So the guy makes all these cuts, and he, and he makes his commitment, and he starts giving it. And over a three-year period, what happened was the money that he committed, God was blessing him back in his work. And so it ended up at the end of three years that he got $50,000 back in work, and God prospering his work, and it was just a wash. And so he lived on a, um, he lived on an, uh, like on, near an airport. And right before this commitment was made, he went out one night and he, he told God, you know, God, I, I don't know that I can do this, you know. And God's like, what do you want? Just the he, he asked for help. And, and God says, what do you want? You think money's just going to fall from the sky? And so he felt corrected and went back in and he did his budget. Well, this night he goes out and he's thanking God. He looks up to the sky and he's just thanking God and, 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 and God's just, just, you know, for blessing him. And the phone rings. And his wife says, it's a, it's a phone call. It's from the airport. He goes, what, what? He goes in, he talks to DFW Airport. And the airport uh, people are there and they say, hey, listen, we just wanted you to know something. Uh, we've done this study. It's been going on for a little while. And basically, homes that are within a certain proximity to the airport that have been affected, where it's reduced the property value and quality of life, uh, we're refunding those homes a certain amount of money because of what's happened to you. How much money do you suppose that was? $50,000. So he's freaking out. He goes back outside. He goes, God, this is incredible. He goes, I remember when I came to you and, and, I, and I prayed to you. And God told him, he said, I can make money fall from the sky if I want to. <laughs> anyway, true story. Uh, believe it or not, it doesn't matter to me. All right? But <laughs> radical obedience. But what's also included in that testimonial is it was a radical obedience, but it took place over a three-year period. And so uh, this isn't in your notes, but for some of you, your miracle could be in process as you go through the process. Amen. Write this down. Third point, final point is obedience is the key to your heart's desire. This is my favorite point of the message, but obedience is the key to your heart's desire. And if you don't know, if you didn't listen to anything, I hope, I hope, I think you will listen to this because this, this particular miracle is so cool to me. Because fundamentally, what did Jesus do? He blessed this family by paying for the refreshments at a wedding. Nobody, no, the deaf person wasn't, you know, able to hear. A blind person's eyes weren't open. A person wasn't raised from that. No, he paid for the drinks. Open bar. <laughs> Sorry, delete that from the thing. Okay, but... <laughs> it's pretty crazy, but that's his, you know, that's his thing. So what I, what I take away from this, though, is it shows how God cares about, listen, your specific needs. Your specific needs. And so if you have a specific need, like you're praying uh, for, for, for the income to increase so that you can pay for your kids in college. Uh, 
God cares about that. If, if, you're, if you're believing for a better job with better pay, God cares about that. If you're believing uh, for the resources to be able to play, pay for two more weddings because the world won't accept a dowry for daughters, God cares about that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He cares about your specific needs. But the problem sometimes is, uh, you know, while you're living, some of you, uh, maybe, not, maybe you're not, but I feel like I'm living in the most expensive time in my life. In one hand, the income's higher because of just years of service and faithfulness. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, my gosh, how are we? Every time we turn around, we're like, how are we going to do that? 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 And, and yet, proportionate to my obedience, God keeps meeting those incredible, those incredible challenges and those incredible needs. And so I think what the enemy tries to get you to do is he says in your ear, you have to keep this back from him if you're going to have your heart's desires so, so I, I, if I, I can't do that because then I won't have my heart's desires. I think, no, it's the exact opposite. If you say yes to him, this story and others are telling me, no, he will give you your heart's desires. Just be obedient to him and see him give you your heart's desires. Psalm 37, 4 says it like this. It says, take delight in the Lord. What does that mean? It means take delight in his, uh, keep, keep his commands. It actually means this. The literal translation is love to obey him. Take delight in the Lord, love to obey him, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Every time that I've obeyed him uh, and, and, and when there was a, a th- an assignment from God, uh, a challenge from God, or I prayed about something, I've given over and above what I normally give. I've always had needs that were beyond my capacity. Listen, did you hear what I just said? Every time I've given above and beyond I, and, and I've all, and, and been obedient to that. I've always had needs beyond my capacity. And every time, God has always given me my heart's desire. And I've still been able to be obedient to him. He's the one who covers that gap, okay? And so Proverbs 10.22 says it like this. The blessings of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. What does that mean? It means some people look like they're being blessed, but because they're at the steering wheel, because they've taken the wheel, they may be blessed financially, but they have sorrow in their family. They may have wealth, but they've lost their health. They may have money, but their marriage is suffering. It's because they're not being obedient to God and trusting him. They're trusting in themselves. And so if you want to have blessing, obey God, and there's no sorrow with that. Does that make sense to everybody out there? Okay, so many have a lot of stuff, but they've lost everything for it. God's trying to reverse things for you and get you to trust in him and just do what he says. Now, this is what I think happens, and this is really the translation of this text. I think Jesus, when Mary said to him, there's no more wine, I think Jesus is saying, Mary, mother, they don't recognize me yet. They don't, they don't know who I am. I, 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 I've clearly not been revealed to them at this particular point. They don't recognize me. They don't understand me as the solution for the pollution. They don't understand me as the provision for their problems. They don't understand that I'm the one that can solve their, their situation, things that they're going. They don't recognize me as the source. That's what he was saying to them. And so are, are they gonna, until they include me, I can't help them. But these servants said yes. These servants did what he said, and God provided. And he's waiting. I think he's sitting at the table of your life, and he's waiting for you to invite him in to solve a lot of your problems and help you overcome problems that are bigger than you 
that are a part of something bigger than you. So do you see Jesus as the provider for all the things that are in your life right now? I think he's waiting for you. In a nutshell, let me say this as I transition. I want to pastor a church that doesn't just show up and show off and worship and has a big show and all that kind of stuff. I want to pastor a church that wants to make a difference. Can I have an amen? I want to pastor a church that's about others and not just about ourselves. And so we're really strategic about some things here as a church. And so we have a vision that, by the way, we're going to continue to fulfill whether you participate in what I'm about to say or not. But we have a vision that could be accelerated by your participation. Everybody say accelerate. So we're doing it because there are people in here that are faithful, like week in, week out. I, I cannot even express how grateful I am for the faithful givers of this church. But on December 1st, everybody say December 1st. It's a big day in our church. We're having a legacy offering. Not today, December 1st. We're having a, our first offering of the year, I think. We might have had one in January for Pakistan, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. This will be our first or second offering of the year. Every time you come here, no, 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 no money exchange, nothing. By the way, this won't be a business transaction. This will be a worship transaction. We're actually going to have an offering during worship. And, and, and if you can't participate, uh, if you're not able to participate, please, please hear me on this. Don't feel any pressure from us about that, okay? Uh, and I, I, I never want to put people under pressure about giving. I hate that. Uh, I wouldn't like it myself, and, and, and I certainly don't want to do it to anybody else. I believe on that day, if you could, you would. I believe in the past, you probably have, and I believe in the future, you probably will. So I'm not going to put pressure on you. But what I am asking you to do is on that legacy offering day, I'm asking you prior to that, I'm giving you several weeks to think about it. I'm asking you to actually pray about participating. Actually do it. A lot of people say, yeah, I'll pray about it. Or some people say, I'm praying for you, but they don't do it. I would like you, you know when the stewardess looks at people in the emergency rows and she, and she explains the uh, emergency rows to people on a plane? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And she goes around and she says, can you just look at me and just say yes? This, that's what I'm doing right now. Will you pray about participating in the legacy offering? I'm looking at all of you. Yes. Okay, I'm asking. Now, again, this is for members of our church. If you're not a member of our church, this doesn't apply to you, okay? You can participate, but I don't want you to feel. But these are people who believe in the vision of our church, okay? I'm asking you to pray. I'm also asking you to plan. I'm asking you to take some time out and think about how could I participate? Because, Like, for example, I'm looking at some of the resources I have. I'm actually going to sell something so that I can participate in this. So God, God showed me something. You can give that so that you can give to this. And so that's the kind of things, Stacey and I, are gonna, we're going to have to get together. We're going to have to talk about this. We're going to have to kind of coordinate our plan. And then I would just say this. On that day, either in prayer or literally with your resources, participate. Participate. And don't assume that your part won't make a difference. Just do your part. Don't do the math. Because when you do what he says, remember, God multiplies that. You do the natural, and God does the supernatural. Can I have an amen? Let me give you some of the areas. I want you to see some of the vision. I'm going to unpack more of this in the next few weeks so you can get around this. But we have five areas. So this is vision. We already do. We can just simply speed it up, okay? And so we have local missions. There's a bunch of stuff that comes underneath it. One of the things that's coming up right around the corner is our turkey outreach, which we've had for like 14 years. Okay, we give away, we'll probably give away between 800 and 1,000 turkeys on that day. We just give them away to the community. We talk, there are people in this church because of that outreach. That's just one of the examples. We do things here locally. What's the next one? Keep going. 
National missions, this is what we do. We partner with domestic ministries. We have what's called strategic partners. We don't just like give money randomly here and there and everywhere. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. We're not going through the cash register, you know, at a grocery store and decide to give that. We have literally, we go deep and we go long with certain people. And so we're part of a church planning organization called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. Our partnership with them has produced, with other churches as well, almost 900 churches have been planted in the last 18 years. It's incredible. We're reaching literally hundreds of thousands of people through church planning. And all of those church planners are doing the same thing that I'm telling you right now. They're, they're giving back to that organization and in turn planting more churches. That's just some of the stuff we're doing. Go to the next one international missions. Now, some of you guys know, I'll just highlight this on your program, uh, Worship Guide, right now. On the cover of it, you see pictures of people in Pakistan. And, and so we've, we establish a relationship. We partner with a ministry in Pakistan, Pastor John and Rachel Javed. Uh, we've given like uh, a certain amount of money. I think it was around 14, 15, or 18. I can't remember the number right now. Forgive me. Uh, if I had the notes right in front of me, I could tell you. But somewhere between 14 and $18,000 we gave to buy Bibles for those people in their native tongue. And it was able to help 180,000 people receive the Word of God. Amen. Another... Another $24,000 was given from this church to free people from slavery in the brick kilns. That happened through this church. These, so when, that's what we did last year. Okay, what this offering is going to the future, okay? And so what could we do if we all came together, we did our part, and when we prayed about it, God spoke to us, and we just did what he said. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Did you guys get something out of that? Were you blessed? Were you challenged? Amen. Some, about five of you were blessed. Praise God. Okay. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to pray for you. And I'd like the campus pastors to join me in framing him and online as well. With every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> Today is the day of salvation for some people. It's interesting. Every time, God, every time I talk about resources, because of the strong correlation and connection between resources and our heart, it's like a string is connected from our wallet to our heart. God always does something in people's hearts and opens them up. And your connection to the Son brings so many benefits. But for that, those benefits to be made available to you, you have to be in relationship with the Son. And so if you're here today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, please honor the people to your right or to your left so they can have a private moment in a big meeting. If God is speaking to you right now and he's talking to you and he's drawing you to himself and, you're, and you're, you're not certain that you're in relationship with him, you can be. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to lead you in accordance with God's word how to make that connection. But you've got to take a step of faith. I would just say if God's knocking on the door of your heart and he's, he's saying, respond to me, respond to me, just, just do it. And the way you can do it is just by saying yes to God, by raising your hand, say, Pastor, that's me. I want to make sure I'm in relationship with him. I want to say that prayer today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand boldly? Don't be afraid. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. All the way in the back. All the way in the back. Anybody else? I can't, God bless you over there. That's awesome. I can't see everybody, but somebody can see all the way in the back, back, back. I see those hands. God bless you. That's so awesome. Thank you. Thank you, young man, for your courage. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. That's incredible. If you raised your hand, you can just put, everybody can just put your hand on your heart. And I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. Would you do that? Would you say this together? We're going to join those people that are, that are surrendering their life to Christ. Say this. Say, Jesus, today is the day of salvation for me. I receive the relationship that was made possible by the sacrifice of the son who paid my debt, who died 
and rose on the third day so that I could overcome in this life. I thank you, Lord Jesus. By grace through faith, I receive all that you have for me in this life and the life to come in Jesus' name. And all the church said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap.